Welcome in to At The Buzzer, a Ralphie Report podcast that goes over everything you need to know about Colorado athletics. We are back, unfortunately, in the pits of despair after taking a wonderful one-week break last week, talking about literally anything other than the team in Boulder. Uh, and, uh, God, they, they made it even harder. Um, I am one co-host, Jack, who has now suffered through quite a bit of bad CU football um, and is realizing this might be the worst yet. Sam, the other co-host, how are you feeling? Uh, checked out. That's the only way to survive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did not watch the Minnesota game, even though it was started at 9.30 p.m. my time. I did not watch the 20-minute highlights because I thought, how much can I really get from highlights that don't show three and outs? <laughs> um, but, I, but I have a bunch of stats. I heard what's up. You know I what's feel up. like I don't need to watch to to I don't I don't think I have to watch to know no, what's wrong. I would actually argue it is this podcast official recommendations to the Colorado <laughs> faithful listening, if any of you are still listening, that they do not watch any full games for the rest of the year. I think we are comfortable in saying that. Um until changes are made. Mm-hmm. It's um Wow. Yeah, just see you went to Minnesota this past weekend to play in Minneapolis. Um, to play Minneapolis, play University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. CU was 27 point underdogs, and that was the- about a 20 point miscalculation. Yeah, that's free money. <laughs> it was for those of us who are smart enough to fade CU. Um, Minnesota wins 49 to 7. Um, Minnesota, I believe, attempted 11 passes in the first half. I believe CU ran 12 first half plays. Oh, it was, uh, six pass attempts until the two minute warning. That's right. So they didn't have to do anything. I think that there was a point, like before the two minute warning, I think CU had defended, um, 12 total passes in six, eight quarters of football. Hmm. So the second half against TCU, they threw three passes. In the Air Force game, they threw four passes. Or I think I'm doing the math wrong. Um, And then this first half, they were at six passes until the two-minute drill. And then they had to hustle. They couldn't just rely on 15-yard runs. Took too much time off the clock. Right. (laughs) Um. See you on the other end, of course, fumbled their first snap of the game for the second week in a row. Mm. That's got to be some mm. crazy record. Uh, mm. And they it, alternated. It wasn't, it wasn't the weather's fault because I, I I wanted to bring this up last week because I've been bringing it up multiple times. Um, <clears throat> and this is my time to do it. I thought that it was JT Shrout's fault and that he was being kind of dumb with uh, warming up in the rain without gloves and then playing, immediately fumbling the snap because it was wet and he wasn't used to it without gloves, and then putting on gloves, which he didn't warm up with, and then, oh, no, you just saw a bad stat? What did yeah. you just see? Yeah, I'll, oh, I'll no. bring it okay. up later. Yeah. Yeah, could you, like, do you know what I'm saying? It just, it's just kind of crazy to me that you would warm up without gloves, realize I'm not ready for this, and then put gloves on, and then 
not have a good feel for the ball. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, it points to further dysfunction in the QB room, in my opinion, despite having new quarterbacks coach this year. Um, and it maybe even points to the fact that they didn't, that Stroud didn't know he's going to be in the first series until like they were there. Oh, what? Maybe I don't know. I don't think oh, that's, oh, that's oh, what I has to be confirmed. This. No, 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 no. But okay. I'm saying maybe. Um, Sean Lewis alternated in the Minnesota game, both yeah. to varying degrees of not success. So um, the leading passer in the game for Colorado is actually Owen McCown, who came in for the last game, drive as a true freshman and threw 50 yards as a as a lefty. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about this game anymore. It sucks, and uh, I'll be honest, we suck. <laughs> Um, that's that's all you, you need to know. Do you know, like, can you think of any two QB systems that worked besides Chris Leak and Tim Tebow? That was literally the only one that was in my head right as you asked that question. Yeah, because it's just Tim Tebow is a goal line running back in that offense. Do you count Brett Hundley and Miles Jack and Jim Moore at UCLA? When Miles, Miles Jack, Jack was, in, was a running back. Option quarterback at times in the goal line. But they, they always ran the ball. Oh, okay, sure. Lavisca Chenault was our wild. <laughs> uh, that dual QB only worked because Lavisca Chenault was catching passes from the other QB. I don't know if it worked, worked, but didn't <laughs> Texas do this in 2016? Did not look work. This up. It did not work. You don't know that. Sam Ellinger. Pretty sure I know it didn't work because I know it got made fun of because they sucked that year. Yes, Sam Ellinger and Shane Bouchelli. Bouchelli. They were seven and six. Hmm. I'll take yeah, seven. Shane Bouchelli ended up at. <laughs> I'll take seven and six, please. <laughs> please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this sucked. Yeah, we suck, man. Uh, We're bad. I I don't know why. It's just, okay, so I I do want to get through this. It does not seem like Carl Durrell has any plan with the quarterbacks or with the offense in general because he's running. Okay, so the first game, he starts with Lewis because he's the, the returning starter, the preseason favorite, whatever. And then he does the dual threat, the dual system. And then fans boo Lewis for coming in instead of Shroud. And then <clears throat> the next game, because fans didn't like this system, he goes with Shroud, who was everybody's favorite. And then he sucks. Like he was like I don't I, I don't like like dissing the players we have because like it's it's a bad situation. But like he was really bad against the Air Force. Um, and so that doesn't work. And so Darrell opts back to the QB system that didn't work, that fans hated, and it just feels like he's being reactionary, like he doesn't know what to do. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it, it on the outside looking in, the, the fans are surprised about how bad CU's quarterback room looks. I was mm-hmm. certainly. Um, but worse than that, I think it looks like Darrell was surprised by how bad CU's oh. quarterback looks. And I think that's what's really depressing is it looks like he legitimately thought, number one, that Brendan Lewis would, would do enough against TCU 
And then by making it Shroud as a starter in Air Force, that he legitimately thought Shroud was enough against Air Force. Like it looks like it he's actually like, well, I thought both of these guys were good, so now I don't know what to do. And he throws in McCown for one for one drive. And now we hear in the lead up to the UCLA game that McCown is taking snaps with the ones, so they're splitting refs with the ones three different ways oh my God. in practice. A three QB system? Yeah. So it, it's fuck? like what do we like how is this coming up by surprise for you guys? That's what I don't get. It's like, it feels like you're also surprised about the work we have to do there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know, man. It, it's and having a bad quarterback makes everything really hard. Having And, and yeah. you can get away from it. You can get away with it. Um, if you have good line play, if you have good skill positions around them, if you have a defense that can hold. I mean, shit. Yeah, I was two and one right now, and they have legitimately the worst offense I've ever seen. Legitimately the worst, they, including yeah. us. Uh, but they're two yeah, and one they're because last they have a defense. In total yards. Like you can get away with it if you have other things. We obviously do not have those things right now, uh, and so it, it even more highlights what that room looks like. And it's not good. The room looks not good, um, and CU looks not good. So yeah, I I, I don't know. It's it's rough. Um, yeah, I think for me, I would. I think that it screams coaching mismanagement, borderline incompetence. <laughs> oh God, yeah, it's it's. I think the coaching is a massive, massive problem in this game for for this team. I think it is. I uh-huh. think we've said this before, but I will not be happy um, if the main parts of the staff are kept. Um, over a year, over a year. I'm not saying anything crazy there. I think we all know what we're saying there. I'd be okay with some coaches remaining, but not the most important no. ones. But before we get into that, because we will get into that. Because, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll want, get into that. Do you want the That's, stats, by the way? Content. The passing offense stats, by the way? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. While we're on that. Okay, so speaking of, CU is tied with Iowa at 125.3 mm. passing yards per game. Um... Jeez. Yards per attempt. CU is averaging 4.3 yards per attempt. Uh, if you want to yeah, know how bad that is. because Macau. Yes. If you want to know how bad that is, Army is number one in the country at 16.5 yards per attempt. Which number one is hilarious and awesome. Uh, once you get past the option offenses, you get closer to the eight and a half yards per attempt. And most teams are within like the five yard range, like six yard range. So. Um, I don't know, man. Yards per game is rough. Oh, I have a fun stat. Okay, I have a more fun stat, but you continue. Okay, this one will be more depressing. Um, do you remember Nick Hirschman in 2012? He was a third string quarterback. I do. Who was kind of forced into action. He threw two touchdowns and seven interceptions that year, and he had a higher quarterback rating than Shrout and Lewis do currently. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's bad. And it's not even all their fault. I, it is, you know, they are not doing well. Let's just be honest. But people mm-hmm. are, are also not getting open early. Like, the the offense looks pretty stagnant and similar to what we had last year. Um, I don't know. It, it, it looks like. A new offensive coordinator has not led to the change that we needed to see, in my opinion. So I don't know. It's it's a mess. 
Um, well, it's not the only side of the ball that sucks. Could you tell me, in layman's terms, what's going on with Chris Wilson's defense? Like, how are we allowing, let's see, the most rushing yards per game in the country by 99 yards? <laughs> but that's because we play an offense, option style. offense. That won't even out. But CU is definitely also not good at stopping the run. Um, uh, no, that, that's not really the reason why. Because Air Force did not have considerably more yards than the other teams that we've played. Well, so this this is tied Minnesota, to the stat that I found. Okay, continue. Okay, do you want to do this? Minnesota, 334 yards rushing. Yep. Air Force, let's see. Sorry, this will take a second. 435, so that's kind of a lot. And then TCU, 275. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right, they're all, it's all option awful. Offense. It's all awful. Yeah. And so, it's like, it's also, like, Minnesota, they stopped trying. Because they didn't have to. They playing. absolutely stopped trying. They absolutely stopped trying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in terms of yards per game allowed by the rushing defense, or I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to tee up the stat, but this is the last stat I'll have before I turn it over to you, the stat man. Um, if you look at the rushing offense yards per game this year, Air Force is number one at 400 yards per game. Minnesota is number two at 312 yards per game. And TCU <laughs> is 19th at 227 yards per game. What do all those teams have in common right now? What do all those teams have in common right now? That That's what I looked at. It's like, oh, no. they We are allowing teams to have historically good – Rushing uh, games. CU, by the uh, way, uh, is at 100 flat rushing yards per game. Uh, they're ranked 100. They're at 120 rushing yards per game. And this is what I guffawed visually at. So for everyone who's not Sam, this is why he stopped in his tracks. Do you want to guess who's last in the country in rushing yards per game? And how many they have? Who? Last in the country, yards per game, is Colorado State. At 131st, they are averaging 36 yards rushing a game. 36. (laughs) We just said the Air Force in the same state is averaging 396. They play each other this year. That's incredible. You know what's funny is Colorado State plays Sacramento State. Uh this weekend. Hey, and Troy Taylor's being mentioned for the Arizona State job. Sacramento State head coach. Oh. Well, they've come up a long way since the dark days of 2012 when they were a terrible program that we shouldn't even talk about. Um, so, yeah. CU cannot defend the run right now. Part of that, I don't know. Defensive line is not what it should be given the guys that are there. Which is yeah, that's supposed to be the strength of this team. Yep. Exactly. Uh, the edges are also a little soft, I think. Tom, Guy Thomas did some good things against Minnesota, but he's not, he's, they're rotating out a decent amount. He's not there all the time. And the middle of the defense is just getting absolutely bisected. Um, yeah, by Quinn Perry and Robert Barnes are not performing how they need to in there. I, it's just like, it's, so for some reason, the middle of the field is wide open against CU running the ball. And if you block Sammy, you get an extra eight yards easy every time. So it, mm-hmm. it's it's brutal to watch, as is the rest of this team. 
Like, it feels like we're playing defense with nine players, right? That's kind of what it looks like. Or at least ten players, maybe. Because if, if, the, if the edges are soft, but, like, they're, they're soft without closing up the middle. So, like, you see the three-man front or the four-man front, and they're all off to the side, and then Sami is by himself in the middle. And he gets triple teamed. And if he's triple teamed, then what's going on with those edge guys? Like, why why are they not setting the edge or getting any penetration? But they're not. And you triple team Sami, send those guys to the linebackers, and we only have two linebackers inside because we're playing it like a fucking 4-2-5. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, we're, we're getting out muscle up front, and then we also have the youngest secondary in the conference and maybe in the country, so, like, it's it's not a good recipe right now. Um you really yeah, can't not, get muscle up front. I actually think they've been better than I expected, um, which maybe part of that's because <laughs> people don't have Secondary? to pass the ball. Maybe it's because people don't have to pass the ball right now. So yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's. I don't know. I, I I'm running out of ways to say it. I don't like watching this team, so I'll stop pretending like I'm I'm analyzing each play because I I'm not. Uh, yeah. it, it's bad. That's fine. <laughs> it's bad. I don't know. It's I don't like seeing them play the game of football. Um, and I, I'm placing the blame entirely on the people paid to make them play football better. How much are they getting paid? Carl Durrell is in the is... four and a half million range a year. So per year, yes. Not that this is at all relevant, but CU would owe him around ten million dollars if he was fired this year because for uh-huh. some reason. CU, when they hired Carl Durrell, gave him a fully guaranteed contract. Um, all money offered to him was is all guaranteed. So when we are firing him this year, we are essentially paying out all of the rest of his contract. Um, and in case you're wondering, that is not the norm right, when you look elsewhere across the country. That is not the normal hiring and firing mechanisms within the contract. Could you go over the, the process of how Durrell was chosen for the job? Yeah, uh, you know, this, this stuff we'll never know, but, um, As basically, your eyes turn black. <laughs> yeah. This stuff we'll never know, but basically Mel Tucker left at a really bad time for CU right after signing day. It's really hard to get people to leave classes they just signed. Um, so you kind of, you're not going to be able to look at sitting head coaches there unless you're Michigan State and you shoot the money cannon at a guy in CU. Um, so CU was, vetting a bunch of candidates, a lot of coordinators. Um, you might have heard some things online, which is I, – I've heard the same things, and I tend to agree uh, – believe them, that Sarkeesian was heavily considering the offer, and CU was heavily considering Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, not Texas as head coach. Um, that ended up not happening. There was some rumblings about the enemy being contacted and um, saying no for a few different reasons, and – in the end, um, I, I believe there were some recommendations, and through Lance Carl, they found Carl Durrell, um, who happened to be local um, as he was building his, his retirement home, as he mentioned in his press conference. So, in general, that's how the, the process went. Um, it was, you know, as you might expect, kind of haphazard and unexpected. CU was not expect, did not have, I don't know, there was no expected move. So, it was kind of shoot-as-you-go deal. Um, and that is how Carl Durrell ended up in Boulder. There were some other candidates interested. 
and it just didn't end up happening, which is, um, in hindsight, pretty strange. And then, so he ended up with that really bad contract, mostly because um, Rick George and the athletic department were really afraid of him leaving. That they, according to Jack Carlo, our friend, <clears throat> they prioritized language that would penalize Durrell for leaving for another program rather than negotiate a more program-friendly buyout clause. So that's that's why the buyout is fully guaranteed. And that's why CU probably can't afford to make a change uh, because they had just been left by a coach and they couldn't stomach being left by another coach. Am I correct in this? Um, That's probably... Rick George's take on the situation, they definitely wanted stability, and they said that on the outset when they hired Carl Durrell. Yeah. Um, he was the very safe milk toast type of... If you ask me, what I would say is the reason they did that <laughs> is for some reason Rick George is not good at negotiating contracts with favorable clauses for CU in them. There is no reason Mel Tucker's uh, buyout should only have been $2.5 million when he left. Why did CU only get two and a half million dollars after a coach left for his first year in a full contract? They should be getting so much more than that. Why is CU fully guaranteeing a contract for a coach that had zero other head coaching offers in the college arena? And we know he had no other head coaching offers. Yeah, let's let's restate that. We know that no one else in February 2020 was offering to hire Carl Durrell as head coach of the college football program. That is a fact. So like he had no leverage. Why why is CU fully guaranteeing that? I don't know. Um, I The whole Mel Tucker saga seems to have drastically altered the way that the athletic department looks at the football program, which is upsetting because they did the right thing, and then the money cannon got shot in their direction. They should continue to do the right thing. So I, I don't know. Whatever. Um, should we – Yeah, this is all speculation. Throw too, some really. blame at Rick George, or should we keep feeling bad about Mel Tucker? Because I don't really care about Mel Tucker at this point. I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, in in my opinion, I am blaming for this season, which is not to par. This is not a good season. I'm not saying anything mm-hmm. crazy. This is a very bad season for Colorado so far and will continue to be, in my opinion. I am blaming the people who are paid to make sure that CU does not have terrible seasons. And that includes yeah. Carl Durrell and that includes Rick George. That is who I am blaming. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. So, yes, I, I am pers- – I am – in my head, thinking that Rick George shares blame for this season and last season, um, and as well as the the language in the contract that may prevent moving on from the other people who are in charge of this season and last season. Um, now, when you just said that, I disagree. I do think that it is possible to fire Durrell. It, I'll say this. I think it will be more expensive to not fire Durrell at the end of this year. If if CU goes as projected 0-12 or 1-11, no shot you can keep Carl Durrell and expect any season. Like, that will be a massive death blow and just show that CU is in a financial position that they can't compete with, right? I don't think mm-hmm. you can do that. They, if CU goes 0-12, 1-11, one, once again, as projected by a few different models now, you have to literally, fire the head coach. You have literally to. every game we're projected to lose. Not only that, we are going to lose quite a bit. Um, you know, that November schedule we said at the beginning of the year is brutal. 
Take a look at it now, man. Is USC gonna <laughs> no. score a hundred on us? Seventy? Is Utah gonna allow more? Are we gonna cross the fifty yard line against Utah? Probably I don't not. think so. I don't think maybe so. on a fumble. The only hope we have, in my opinion, is ASU. That's the, that is the last game alive for me. But this is a, a bigger yeah. conversation, and I don't want to get too ragey here. Um, but yeah, so yes, I think it is so possible Terrell, and, and like and potentially likely that CU is looking for a new head coach. Um. So the so the the thing is is like the the numbers are around like eight point seven to ten million dollars. Like somewhere in there would be how much it would cost. And the the thing is, like, okay, well, see, you can't really afford to buy him out, but they can't not to. Well, they can't not afford. <laughs> you good, bro? <laughs> yeah, we have a little coffee fit over. Oh here. my god! I start talking about CU football, and just it expels out of me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, so so CU they can't afford the buyout and they can't afford to not fire him if he goes like oh and twelve one and one and eleven. But can CU afford it? Because they're they don't really have the money. Like how how could they raise that if they don't have the money? Uh you will absolutely find the money and likely done through donors who are also extremely upset, which is possible. Um but I mean, you could also borrow, if needed, from the general fund, from the general endowment. Schools have done that in the past. Cal has done that pretty frequently in the past. It is absolutely possible. See, it's a $2 billion endowment, which isn't huge, but it's enough. It's a drop in the bucket. $10 million is nothing compared to $2 billion, right? So um, mm. there's absolutely possibilities there. Once again, CU's athletic department operates in the black. Right now, they are profitable, which is... Admirable, but also not necessary compared to a lot of the other departments. So you could absolutely borrow more money okay. based off of that pretty strong balance sheet if needed, if that policy changes. Okay, and then did you – is it too early to talk about targets? Or would you like to talk about – It's never too early, man. I'm doing this even because, when CU's good. I love yeah, because working like, at coaches. We're not going to get in trouble for this because no one is going to say anything. But like, I I cannot reiterate how likely it is that we go like one and eleven, uh, one twelve. Like, I think we can probably operate on that assumption. Absolutely. And if we're wrong, we can very, very happily eat crow. Yeah, well, exactly. We'd love to be proven wrong here. So. Yes, I think I am operating under the assumption that in 2023, CU will have a new head coach, which is not a good year to have a new head coach, but we'll see. Uh, it's a good year to be better than we are right now. I'll say that. Uh, are we talking? Are we talking about the yeah, you got uh, your hot board out. Yep. Uh, I, I've not published anything yet because I, I do think I will wait until anything is official before I publish anything, but I'm always looking at new head coaches. Oh, you guys are scared? <laughs> I don't know if scared is the right word. Um, I'll, I'll just say, uh, you know, I, I got cautious. How about that? <laughs> um, so, 
Right, We're looking at coaches. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down. This is very fun for me. I'm gonna break this down by like moonshots that are probably not going to happen, and then candidates that are probably not going to happen because they might be a little more lower profile. So you could pro- might be able to shoot higher than them. But there are coaches I like that are young that are at a lower level or something. Yeah, you know, there's coaches that I like. Something to keep in mind. Okay, Brian Ferentz. Brian Ferentz, exactly. Let's see what he does outside of Kirk's shadow. It's all Kirk's fault. Um, <laughs> all right, let's start with the moonshots. Stuff that I don't think is that likely. Um, I think a name like Josh Gaddis would be very exciting. I don't think Josh Gaddis is very likely. Sam, you're going to have to stop me if you've ever heard of any of these people. Do you, have you heard I've of heard Josh of this guy from you, and I forgot who it is. He's the current offensive coordinator at Miami, who frankly did not do a good job against AM, neither did Mario Cristobal. Mm. However, his track record is long enough that I'm willing to put that away from him. And his other traits, I think, make him a really good head coaching candidate. He was previously the offensive coordinator at Michigan when they had a pretty good offense last year, um, playoff caliber offense. Before Michigan, he was the offensive coordinator or assistant co OC and wide receivers coach at Bama. Before the wide receivers coach at Bama, which, as you know, has put ridiculous amounts of receivers into the NFL, he was the uh, assistant head coach and wide receivers coach at Penn State. Penn State also had quite a bit of talent at during his time there. Um, Alan Robinson was there at his during his thing. Cortland Sutton, that that's oh. his group. Um, Cortland Sutton was not at Penn State. He was at SMU. Oh, not Court. Who's the other Broncos guy? Chris Godwin. No, the Broncos guy. That's why I say Cortland oh, Sutton. Uh, KJ Hamler, Hamler, who yes, was not, you. he was not there at the time, but it doesn't matter. So Penn State, but, he was a Penn uh, State. Chris Godwin was there. He was a Penn State <laughs> wide receiver coach from 2014 to 2017. Um, so Jerry Judy's his main guy in Alabama before that. And then he was at Vanderbilt as a wide receiver coach when Jordan Matthews was lining it up at Vanderbilt, if you remember that. Yeah, um, I'm good at this. K.J. Hamler was not at Penn State when he was there. I had that. Missed it by a year. Okay, so anyways, he's still young. He's 38 years old. He's been at a lot of high-level operations, which is why that's exciting. Obviously, he knows how to win Penn State, Michigan, Alabama, all winning programs. And I like that because it's under three different head coaches that all have their specific methods. Nick Saban's been well-documented. Jim Harbaugh, obviously, his own little weirdo up in Ann Arbor. Uh, and James Franklin, he spent the most time with, always runs a really good recruiting program. I think Josh Gaddis will be a good recruiter anywhere he goes. So, once again, mm-hmm. unlikely he's going to hold off for a bigger job. And also, he's not doing that good at coordinating the offense. So, it's possible that this is a bold dodge. But I think his profile fits well. Don't think he's coming here. Um, similar to that, other moonshots that people have mentioned, Lance Leipold, the current head coach of Kansas, hot candidate right now, he is not coming to CU. Unfortunately, he has a better situation at Kansas right now than CU is. Um, and they're going to pay um, big bucks to try to keep Nebraska away from him. He's also, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, people are also saying that he probably has a better situation at Kansas than he would at Nebraska. So we wouldn't be the only ones to miss out. Yes. Yeah. Um, some other moonshots that may not be as likely. Um, one that I see mentioned frequently and that I love, but I'm not sure how likely it is, is Jeff Grimes, who's the current offensive coordinator at Baylor. 
Jeff Grimes has another varied, interesting resume. He was also at CU as the offensive line coach and assistant head coach under Gary Barnett early in his career. Um, so and this oh, is no, no, 2007, 2008. Sorry, he's at Hawkins. You're right. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Under okay. Jan Hawkins early in his career. Before that, he was at BYU. Before that, he was at ASU. Um, and he was at under Hawkins again in 2000 at Boise State. Um, after Colorado, he moved on to Auburn for three years. He was at Virginia Tech for a year. Then he was at LSU for three years, 2014 to 2017 under Les Miles. Before and then he went to Kalani Satake's BYU in the last three years as overall OC. Ran a pretty fun offense over there. Got hired by David Randa at Baylor for the last two years. Their offensive line under Jeff Grimes is incredible. Their offense is very fun and physical and fast. Kind of a weird mix of like power spread, run heavy offense, um, and heavy, heavy Texas connections for Jeff Grimes. Went to UTEP, coached at Rice, coached at AM, heavy Texas connections. Great, great candidate there, I think, for CU. He fits everything we'd like him to fit. However, similar to Gaddis, I think he's going to hold off for a better job in a year. I think I would if I were him. Because another year mm-hmm. with Baylor, if they continue to do well offensively and continue to have good offensive lines, that's going to be enough to prove that he can go uh, somewhere bigger. I think. Um, he also <clears throat> was there when they converted Nate Solder to left tackle and they helped develop him. And Bakhtiari. Um, uh, Bakhtiari is not there just yet, I think. Other moonshots we're looking at there. Um, I don't know. There's some names that are always kind of mentioned at bigger coaching jobs. Urban Meyer is a hard no um, with this CU Boulder administration. Don't even think they're incorrect in that statement. But, yeah, no shot. Urban Meyer is is coming to Boulder in any capacity. Um, someone like Dan Mullen is interesting, but he might also wait for a more favorable situation. He is also known as a reluctant recruiter, which when you're coaching at the C- University of Colorado Boulder, it's probably not a good fit because you kind of have to go pretty far to get good good, good recruits. Can you repeat that name? Dan Mullen. Oh, I thought you were saying someone, someone else and just mentioned Dan Mullen. I don't want Dan Mullen. Uh, he'd be a fun offense, but reluctant recruiting is, is not a candidate for success at CU. On the opposite side of that, Tom Herman is another TV option. Florida. It's not that he couldn't recruit it for it. It's that he didn't want to. And you, he recruited okay. well enough, but not yeah. well enough to compete with like Georgia, the SEC East powerhouses, right? Yeah, but what, uh, what, what good would that do for CU? I mean, he still won games. I don't, I don't, I, he still won a bunch of games. Eh. Eh. Okay. I mean, Mississippi not State, really. he didn't recruit at Mississippi State either, and they still won a bunch of games. It's also hard to recruit to Stark, Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah, okay. I mean, his Mississippi State track record is good, but yeah, he found but... Jack Prescott. Easy way. So he's out of work right now. He's a ESPN commentator. Yes. Okay. Along those same lines, Tom <laughs> so Herman is working for CBS. <laughs> Tom Herman uh, Tom is not Herman. Is a full recruit. He's a moonshot. These are not likely candidates. Don't think he's coming to see just... either. I'm just soured on um, – oh, Tom Herman's also out of work. That's right. He's an That's offensive literally analyst. What I ju- literally what Hang I on. just said. I was setting up a joke. He's an offensive analyst for the Bears. Nice. <laughs> so, he's nice. not doing much. <laughs> yeah. I am hesitant 
for retreads? I don't think these are likely, so you might get your wish. Um, okay. But I would also like someone who knows how to build a decent program. I'm just, I'm afraid there's like a thing in soccer where if you're a big club or if you're like a medium-sized club, you should never get a player who takes a step down towards you because they'll think that they're like better than you and like they won't work as hard. Like you want someone on the up and up. So that's a good segue for this or not. So that's a good segue. We're now getting to what I would consider way more realistic candidates. In fact, they might be too low shooting of candidates. Um, But there are, they are things that it would be stepping up to see you as opposed to stepping down or stepping sideways. Um, One that's been mentioned more and more frequently I'm seeing within the CU Twitter sphere and other Twitter spheres, which is good, but I mentioned him for a few years. You can check the podcast recordings. Jay Hill, Weber State's football coach. Sam, you know I've been mentioning Jay Hill for years. Um, yeah, I know. This is a guy that all he does is win football games, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that still is the goal of football teams, is to win football games. Um, I wouldn't know. We are seeing more and more success with coaches who are stepping up into situations that aren't that they have never been in before and succeeding. Lance Leipold was a D3 powerhouse before he was a Buffalo powerhouse, before he turned Kansas into a 3-0 team receiving votes, right? Never coached mm-hmm. at the Power 5 level in any meaningful capacity, really. Never been a coordinator, never been a head coach, and he still succeeds. Kalen DeBoer, Sioux Falls powerhouse, amazing teams at the D2 level, right? Went to Indiana for two years in OC, Fresno State head coach for one year. Now he's at Washington. Looks like he's kicking ass at Washington. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State turned North Dakota State into an incredible program. Won multiple FCS national titles, stepped immediately into a Power 5 gig, and it's working out. So to me, I'm putting less and less emphasis on Power 5 experience or on big-time football experience because I don't think that matters if you have a winning culture and you know what you want out of your team. I think that's much more important. And I think we're seeing that Craig Bowl. Craig Bowles doing a good job at Wyoming too, by the way. Uh, yes, as good of a job as you kind of can uh, at, at this stage, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a tough job. And Matt Campbell, but... I, I would say it's another example. Um, oh, he's doing a good job, but he's only had one losing season since 2015. Right. That's good a while. I So, you know, I'm taking, I'm saying if you win somewhere consistently, I think that translates way more than a lot of people think. Jay Hill wins at Weber State consistently. He has been head coach there since 2014. Prior to that, his entire career was at Utah in varying roles. Cornerbacks coach, tight end coach, cornerbacks coach, running backs coach, tight ends coach, all under Urban Meyer and Kyle Whittingham. Goes to Weber State. First year, 2-10. Since then, has not had a losing record. 6-5, and 7-5, and and then four straight years, 11-3, and 10-3, 11-4, 5-1, right? All of those with a maximum one conference loss, and a really good Big Sky conference. Big Sky is one of the best FCS conferences, right? Um, mm-hmm. Jay Hill also recently this year, the 2-0, and they just laid it on Utah State, a Mountain West program. They won 35-7 to with presumably worse talent on paper. Jay Hill knows how to win football games. I personally really think like that hire. I think he's going to be a good hire for someone. I've seen more and more people mentioning him. All right. Next one, that's kind of out of left field. Might even be shooting too low, like I said, but interesting because he has a connection, but Wait, not a huge connection. Before you before you go, it would be also quite interesting to see 
Jay Hill at CU because he's a uh, Kyle Whittingham disciple. Well, first he's and Urban previously Meyer before disciple. that, Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah, I was about yeah, um, but Whittingham we like, Urban Meyer we don't. Right, Whittingham knows how to win at least. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, we're not gonna. We don't. We don't have to mention Steve Adazio for now. My personal uh, favorite being recommended by Urban Meyer. This this will be the last one I do, but my personal favorite, and I'll put all of this in a hot board. Like I said, I will be prepared whenever. But my personal favorite, shooting a little, it's a potential play, but I like it. Ricky Rainey, baby. What do you know about Ricky Rainey? Oh, sorry, you asked me a question. Um, let me just power up the old Wikipedia. There you go. What do I know about Ricky Rainey? Where is he coaching? He's coaching Old Dominion. He's a head coach at Old Dominion. Oh, yeah. So this guy is from Morrison, Colorado. Went to Bear, Bear Creek, Creek High, School. High School. Yes, we know him. And we even did this on a podcast a couple weeks ago where we found famous alumni from Bear Creek High School. That's right. Ricky Rainey. Um, Gotta love him. So he, he was another James Franklin guy. Worked with James Franklin at Vanderbilt and then also at Penn State until he took this coaching job. He also worked under Bill Snyder for four years-ish as a running backs coach and tight ends coach. A great guy to work underneath. Um, oh, wait, no, I'm so wrong. He wasn't Bill Snyder. He, this was at the um, – this is in the Ron Prince era of Kansas State that Bill Snyder then took over. Is no, no, no. He, he was a tight ends coach for Bill Snyder as well. James Franklin was the offensive coordinator for Ron Prince at Kansas State. So he's oh, a James Franklin guy. Interesting. I didn't know James Franklin was there. But Colorado guy who doesn't have connection to the program, I find that important. I oh, want James less... Franklin at Penn State. Got it. What? Okay. I, I, I got confused. Okay. He started in 2020. They canceled the, the season in 2020, Old Dominion. Here's where it gets interesting. Old Dominion started the 2021 year 1-5, right? Lost to Wake Forest. His first year on the job. Lost to Hampton – or beat Hampton – Lost to Liberty, Buffalo, UTEP, Marshall, Western Kentucky. They then rattle off five straight wins to make it to a bowl game against Tulsa. So they really oh. rallied at the end of his first year. This year, they are playing a brutal non-conference schedule. They started one and two, but as the lowly Old Dominion Monarchs, who are not the, the pride of the Virginia Commonwealth, they beat Virginia Tech the first year, and then they barely lost to Virginia in the in this third game. They got blown out by East Carolina, but East Carolina is really good. So I personally think he's punching way above his weight with this Old Dominion roster in only his third year on the job, his second year actually playing football games. Um, really young at 42, James Franklin guy, knows the state of Colorado pretty well. Def- he coached a lot of different spots on offense under Penn- at Penn State. He recruited Trace McSorley, the legend, the god, Trace McSorley. He recruited Mike Gesicki, if you remember Mike Gesicki, who's one of the best yeah. Penn State tight ends, um, recruited Miles Sanders. Like, he did a lot of co- good stuff. Um, oh, hey, here's your guy, KJ Hamler. That's right. Um, I, I think he's an interesting option that knows how to build a program because he's doing it right now. Um, so, that that would be my last name I mentioned. Do you think he's ready for a step up? I don't know. know. I have no clue. Um, all I know is if he isn't, this is a cheap higher fire situation. 
I bet we can outbid all the people. <laughs> High fire. That's good. That's probably what we should have had. Yes, it is. You know. <laughs> uh, so I have I have plenty more names of keeping tabs on. All this will be released in writing at some point. But yes, this is what where my energy is the, going for the rest of the year. What happened to the UTSA stuff? You're patience, patience, Sam. We got a tease. We got a tease. Oh, you got a tease? Oh, okay. Okay. What else? What else do I have? I so that I, I mean, that's where all my energy is going. Episode. You're looking at stats. Yeah. I'm looking at other coaches. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at basketball whenever that starts. Do we even preview the UCLA game? Um, UCLA's not that good. I totally agree that UCLA's not that good. What did we say before <laughs> the year? They're overhyped. And still the 21-point favorites. And they're going to cover, most likely. Of um, course. Now, I will say the thing going against them, it sounds like Zach Charbonnet is questionable and doubtful. Oh, potentially. Oh, thank God, because he would have had 300 rushing yards on us. Yeah. So that that's one thing going for CU. But yes, you heard okay. that right. His backup will have 212 rushing yards. In, um, in CU's conference opener, you did hear that correctly. They are at home and they are still at 20 plus point underdogs to a UCLA team that should not be scaring anyone. That is the state of things. Um, Who that's they also an, just an, barely beat? They just beat South, South Alabama, Alabama like on a walk-off play. field goal, baby. Yeah, okay. After after South Alabama had a free field goal in the first half and did one of the worst fake field goal plays I've ever seen since Mike <laughs> McIntyre's game in 2017 against UCLA. Do you remember that game? You didn't have to break that up. Yes, I did. Juwan Riffrey <laughs> dropping three passes in the end zone from Steven Montez. Do you remember that? We're in the all whites. This yeah, is burned into my brain, man. Um, One of them went through his hands and hit him in the face mask. That's NFL player currently on the Packers, Juwan Winfrey, who I adore. We, we love Juwan Winfrey. Um, yeah. And this he team, looks this... like my sister's dog. This game is going to be really hard for CU. Um, UCLA's defense isn't that great, and they're kind of rebuilding after last year, but I don't think it matters with what our offense looks like. That is a a blunt force meeting a movable object. Um, nothing's going to happen there. And uh, the other side, see, UCLA will be able to run all over the field if they really want to. Um, suck the air out of the game. So I'm predicting a, another blowout. Are you going to watch? I will be in the stance, yes. Mm. Will you have nice weather? Uh, it'll be pretty good. We're finally getting into football weather scenario. It'll be pretty good for Ooh. a noon game. Um, oh, yeah. it's a noon game. Yes, it is. So I can watch it if I if I want to. If you got the Pac-12 network. What am I doing Saturday? Oh, shit. No, I'm working Saturday night. I can't. See? There you Dang. go. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for work. <laughs> Yep, so that's uh, that's the state of things. You got anything else? Um, uh, the state of things is bad. Here's, uh, the, here's the last thing I'll leave you with. Here's the last thing I'll leave okay. you with. I sure. do think if things are bad enough the next two weeks, which they might be, let's say UCLA wins by 30, puts in backups in the first, second half. Let's say CU then travels to Arizona, a fun Arizona team that was terrible last year. It's crazy how that works. When when teams actually care about when coaches actually care about getting better, um, 
let's say CU travels to Arizona and gets blasted there by 20 to 30, right? You then have a bye week before that Cal game. I think you might see a change there. I mm. think that you might see some changes there. That's what I yeah. think. Oh, and we didn't touch Rick George's uh, letter statement. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Did not like that one bit. Did not like that one one bit. What, what does that signal? Well, if you, so if you, you haven't the, read it, please find it. If you look at the national media, they saw that letter, which is basically Rick George saying, support our students regardless of how you feel right now. Um, <clears throat> the national pundits seem to believe for sure that that is a vote of confidence, which is a famous statement that the AD puts out a few weeks before they fire a head coach saying we fully believe in the direction that blank head coach is taking this program. And then they lose a few weeks. And then for some reason, the guy gets fired. Imagine that. Um, you actually saw that pretty recently with the ASU Herm Edwards situation. Um, so national media th- seems to think it's that. However, oh, every um, CU fan reacted to that. Go ahead. Herm got fired on the field after the loss. Yes, he did. Yes, okay, he did. Uh, I think the local media and CU fans read that as I cannot believe this guy is shamelessly stomping to try to get more attendance for this for this week's game. I, I think we all kind of recognize like I don't think this is a vote of confidence. I think this is more just him being like, You gotta show up. Wow. I, I don't think there was any hidden meeting other than what the words on the page, man. So my read was we can't really afford to fire this guy. Um, yeah, you know, that is a read to make. I, I would say that if it gets bad enough, um, I'll be honest, Rick George will not be the person that has to justify firing him, right? <laughs> if it gets bad enough, he wouldn't have to do anything about that, so... What, why is that? <laughs> uh, he he might not have his job either. <laughs> Thank you for being explicit. I thought you were hinting at that. Um, yes. <laughs> this is great. I love this team. <sighs> KJ Simpson looks great. His KJ Simpson looks incredible. Always. Tristan hey. has great fashion sense, as you say. Keyshawn Bartholomew is going to start for Oregon at point guard, which is interesting. That is very interesting. I did not think he is good enough for that. But we will see. (laughs) Oh, that's actually nice, though. Because it'll be the first time where I can look at an Oregon roster before the season and say, oh, I know who this guy is. I know how he plays. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's always uh... a guess. We don't know what will be until they start playing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. See ya. See ya.